And welcome into the latest edition of Sharpshooters. I'm David Schuster, joined as always by my friend and fellow hoops junkie, Mr. Andy Roth. And this podcast is brought to you by DraftKings. More from our sponsor in just a little bit. And today, Andy and I are joined by another longtime good friend, Mr. Tommy Tig. And this is like an old sports phone reunion because Andy and Tommy used to work at Sports Phone in New York and I was in Chicago. And we had good times, even though we were about 1,000 or 1,500 miles apart. But that's a long time ago, and I don't remember too much of it anyway. anyway <laughs> Tommy, of course, uh, for 40 years in this business, and Tommy's done pretty much everything. I followed his career from afar. Good for you, Wow. Tommy. Good for you. Good <laughs> wow. For He's impressed. Yeah. I knew somebody was stalking me. I wasn't sure who it was. All the way from Chicago. That, that's, and that's what I always say, you know, whenever it was, oh, I'm a fan of yours, I always go, you're the one. Thank you. Anyway, Tommy. Yeah, but the way I look at it, David, every once in a while somebody says to me, wait, wait a minute. How old were you when you first said you heard me? And then they say like 35 or something. Then you start getting scared. That, that's the worst part. <laughs> yeah, then you really feel old. I, I, I totally understand that. Anyway, Tommy currently uh, does the uh, pregame, the halftime, and the postgame show for the Miami Heat on radio. He also uh, does the Heat Weekly. I think it's Saturday mornings, if I'm not mistaken. And again, Tommy's done pretty much everything in this business. But today we want to have him on to talk about the Miami Heat and other things in the NBA and Tommy, let's just start right there. I mean, the Eastern Conference, this is fun. I mean, what is it? It's a game and a half separating the top five teams. The top eight only separated by five and a half. You know, besides talking about Miami, talk about the Eastern Conference to start with. Well, without a doubt, I'd love to talk about the Eastern Conference. Thanks for bringing me on after they lose three in a row. I really yes, appreciate sir. that. <laughs> is that Andy's fault or David's fault? That's all I want to know. Uh, I'll, I'll take the blame. We may never win another game after I get invited on this program. <laughs> But anyway, talking about the Eastern Conference, I can't believe it myself, guys. There's no question in my mind thinking that six teams can be within three games going into the middle of the weekend. And you say to yourself, how can this happen? I really don't know how some of these teams have been able to do it. Or some of these teams you thought, like Brooklyn, even though they've gone through injuries and COVID, have fallen to the place that they have. But I get the feeling the way it's been with us, we were on top of the heap for about 15 minutes the other day. And the next thing I know is, hey, you lose one game, you slip all the way down to third place. You lose a couple of games. Next thing you know, you could be back in the play-in situation. So I, I can't remember, maybe you guys can, how crazy either conference has ever been in this position with so many teams being so close to one another. You know, it's funny. You talk about what they've done. I mean, I, when I looked at the standings last week, they're, they're in first place. And I'm saying to myself, let's see, Butler's missed 19 games, Bam 25, Lowry 13. So tell me how the Heat pulled this off. Coaching. There's no yeah. question in my mind. There are so many people that are giving him credit now. And, you know, I, I've liked the guy for an awful long time, especially his coaching ability that he's picked up over the last, I would guess, six to seven years. Because you think about it, a lot of people would say that Phil Jackson, Pat Riley, all the great coaches can win with talent. Well, he's still won with talent, which kind of puts him on the map. But I think what he's done to keep this team competitive over the last five, six years with an awful lot of people just like this, the Rodney Magruders, the Tyler Johnsons, not even household names in their own household. It's a similar type of thing here. I mean, David knows Max Strews from DePaul, being one of the best players there over the last few years. But uh, guys like Gabe Vincent, who've been bouncing around in their organization for the last three years, Caleb Martin on a two-way contract. You look down the roster, and even an Omer Yurtsevin, who nobody wanted with Georgetown, how many undrafted players this team has been able to figure out and get roles for, and then they all contribute? It says an awful lot. I wish I had an answer as to why they've been so competitive, but I'm going to keep riding the wave and just thinking, hey, what the heck? If they keep doing it, 
I can pick up a third ring and I'll go for that. Hey, listen, from afar, I'm a big fan of Eric Spolstra. And, you know, he's from the Pat Riley chain. So, I mean, you know, the apple does fall very close to the tree in this instance. I mean, you know, uh, greatness befits greatness. But, you know, and, and, and sometimes they say, you know, the players on a team you know, make everybody better. But in this instance, Tommy, I'm going to agree with you. I think the coach actually makes everybody better on the Miami Heat. I agree with you, especially when you see how many players have come in there with no reputation at all and do what they do. And you think about trying to blend teams from time to time. 2020 was a prime example. Here's Jimmy Butler who couldn't wait to get out of Minnesota, couldn't wait to get out of Philadelphia. He ends up here, and he just buys into this quote-unquote culture. All these players seem to do it. I don't know why. I can't understand it. what it is that makes it what it is. But whatever it is, it continues to work. And look what they had now. In the offseason, in that general manager's poll for NBA.com, they said, well, you know what? They've got the best pickups they've picked up of anybody else in the offseason. In Kyle Lowry, P.J. Tucker, Markeith Morris. We haven't seen Markeith Morris since he got knocked down like Frazier against Foreman back in the day in November. Next thing you know is maybe he'll come back. Victor Oladipo, who knows? But whoever seems to be out there, he seems to find a way to make them competitive. I think they're more competitive than I thought they were going to be this year, and they're a much better team now at this stage of the season than I ever imagined. I, I thought they were going to be better in the second half of the season when they played so many home games. But being as competitive as they are, the way they play it on the road, through the first half of the year and the way they continue to play right now, aside from this three-game losing streak that you brought me in on, <laughs> you know, I, I, I still think they're going to compete with a lot of teams in this conference. I really do. You know, you mentioned Yurt Seven. I, I sent out a tweet about him about a week or so ago. Time to give the guy some props. Uh, 14 double-digit rebound games, eight mm -hmm. double-doubles. Talk about him and what kind of player he really is. Well, a lot of people thought when you saw him in Summer League that he had some chops offensively, but you didn't see – the great rebounding ability that he showed when he got in the opportunity that he had. And, and you think about it, Andy, there were many times that he got in for even a cup of coffee, five minutes here, seven minutes there. He didn't see it. Then all of a sudden thrust into the starting lineup when Dwayne Dedman went down with a sprained knee, they thought, well, P.J. Tucker's probably going to have to play some of the five like he did in Houston. All of a sudden this Yurtsevin kid comes in and gives you 30 minutes a night, pulling down, what, 12, 13, 14 rebounds every single game? And now the most difficult thing is, how do you get him back in the lineup now that you have Adebayo out there? Because he adds so much in so many elements to the team. But this is a great find for him. The one thing about it, though, is they don't have him under a full contract. So he has the opportunity in the future to be a free agent. Can you imagine what this kid's been able to think about in the future, what he's been able to do with what he did with the numbers you brought up? I, I think they better sign him very quickly if they have the opportunity to do so, because I think this kid's an asset. One name we haven't mentioned, i got to bring it up, is Duncan Robinson. Signed the big contract. I know he's been struggling. I'm wondering how much confidence the coaching staff has in him. Any chance he gets dangled uh, at the trade deadline? Well, he keeps hearing those because I hear Houston was one of the places supposedly out there that they could move him in a Christian Wood deal if that's the direction that Miami wants to go in. Not really sure. I wish I could understand what the difference was in Duncan Robinson from last year and the year before to now, where he's shooting 39% from three after being a 47% shooter two years ago. 30, a 45% shooter last year, I think it's all inside of his head. Because I can't understand, Andy, how you look at somebody that was able to have, when he got back into the starting lineup after having COVID, he gets five, six, three, seven three-pointers in consecutive games, and then goes right back into this three-for-18 situation in these last three games. He's definitely a weapon to this team when he's able to do that, but I think it's all mental more than anything else. Maybe trade rumors are playing on his mind. I don't know. The coaching staff really likes him and thinks he can be an asset on this team. And if he can hit four or five three-pointers like he's done in certain games, 
there's no question in anybody's mind he can do that. But right now, I, I just think his biggest problem is just himself more than anything else. Hey, Tommy, I saw uh, the rumor today about uh, Christian Wood for Duncan, and, and it'd probably be more than that if it even came to pass, which I semi-doubt. But let's just say, and, and I happen to like Wood, by the way, even though he's sort of a loose cannon at times. But how would, how would he be used in Miami? Would Bam move over? I mean, how, how would they use him? I would like to think that if that ever comes about, David, you put him in the four spot and you keep Bam at the five. But then again, the way this place is, there's no such thing as uh, positions. They coined the phrase positionless basketball before it became popular when Chris Bosh was playing a four or a five back in 2010 and LeBron was playing a three slash four. They've been doing that ever since. Now, granted, you have players like Hassan Whiteside, you're never going to put it two or the three. But a lot of these players, if you look at them, the wings can play different positions. The fours can play fives, maybe not a Deadman or a Yurtsevin, but still, Bam's equally able with his athleticism to play those positions. So if you put Wood out there in a deal for anybody on this team, I think what it would require would be draft picks in addition to a Robinson and maybe somebody else off the roster. I don't think they're giving up Hero anytime soon. I know they're not thinking of Bam. And, and the money Butler makes and Lowry and those guys, the other key personnel are just too old for Houston, who's in a rebuilding situation to do. So if a move like that is made, I would think it really doesn't matter that much as far as the position is concerned. If Wood can buy into what this team likes to do, it's the four, the five, the three, whatever he decides at any certain time. Tommy, I dug in a little more on Struss and what really stood out. Nine games as a starter, 17.9 points per game, 45 from three. Is there a confidence that if they moved on from Robinson, that Struss could get the job done? You know, he might be able to, Andy, but uh, I, I like him better coming off the bench, and I'll tell you why. It's a similar thing with Hero. It's the spark that he brings. And even if I have to date myself and go back into coaching like I did in the 70s and the 80s, there were certain kids I felt could not play coming off the bench. If Robinson stays in the club, which I believe he will, I don't see Robinson being that type of player because when he came off the bench in those games, really didn't do a heck of a lot. He needs to be out there. I think Struess is very happy being in the position that he's in. He, as the coach says, is ignitable. He can score AKA Kenzie Russell back in the day, come off the bench, firing a bunch of jumpers right away. I don't think Robinson's capable of that. I think he has to warm into the game, get ready for it, sort of like a starting pitcher as opposed to a reliever. That's the difference I see in Struess, who actually was a pretty good, from what I'm led to believe, pitcher in high school and in college with the ball. Decided on basketball, made the right move. I think Struess can play the position. I think he can be a starter, but I like it better with him on the second unit because it adds so much to them offensively. Well, he certainly made the right move because he's making money now, and he wouldn't have made money in those other sports. So that's definitely the right move. Um, and he's going to make more money, yes. Of course. Yep. Uh, listen, Tommy, you met, mentioned uh, of Jimmy Butler earlier. Unfortunately, after, since the pandemic, you can't get close to these players like once we were. I mean, you know, not, exactly. that, I be, not that I want to be bosom buddies with any of them, but at least, you know, we're much closer uh, beyond a couple of years ago. What are your impressions of Jimmy overall, both obviously on the court and off the court? I think he's still – maybe at the tail end of his prime of his career. I think that's the way I would describe him. He's, you know, he, he was very quiet when he first came into the league. He felt, you know, his way around. And then he got a little cocky, to be honest with you. And I'm just wondering how, how he is down in Miami, if you have any impression. He's only yelled at me two or three times, David, to be honest with you. <laughs> that's not bad. Not bad at all, no. And it, the questions weren't all that stupid, but he did question what I was talking about. That's he can be boisterous. He can be boisterous. On the court, he sort of what uh, sets the tone for this club. They kind of play off him in the way that he plays the game. But off the court, brash, confident, 
Cocky is a great word to, to describe him, but he really likes it here. He just bought a place today, $7.5 million place in a gated community. You know he likes it here. He loves soccer. He loves the weather. He loves everything about this whole idea. So I think that makes him a much better player. I, I think statistically, the numbers are about the same as they've been in his time here in Miami. Maybe a little bit down from that one year. I think it was 2017 with Chicago. And then the first year in Minnesota. Yeah, okay, fine. But still, what he brings to the table with so many things he does and how even though he makes fun of most of his players, I think that's just a, you know, a little thing behind the scenes. The whole idea is he really respects everybody. And I think it's, a, it's an interesting pickup. I don't know what it's going to be like three years down the road as far as the contract becoming a max deal where he's going to be making more than $40 million. But you're right. I think he's still got something left in the tank, and he's proving it over the course of the year. I still think he's got a few good years left in him. Tommy, he's not a highlight reel guy. Do you think in a way he's underrated? Because when I watch him, he really knows how to read the floor and read the game. Very smart player, Andy. There's no question about it. Uh, there are times, the only thing I question about is his outside shooting ability. When he steps beyond the three-point line, I think he's hitting, what, 18 19% now from out there. And there are times there are questionable decisions that he makes. But uh, over the course of a 48-minute game, nobody's going to play harder than him. And as I said to David before, he's going to continue setting the tone for this club. That's why Bam plays the way that he does. That's why the guards play the way that they do. And as long as he's out there, even though he's missed 18 games, the biggest difference is last year they needed him so much more. With the depth that David asked about it, how are these guys getting it done? It's a much better team right now that doesn't need him as much to lead, but it's definitely a better position when Lowry gets back in the lineup, which I hear could be soon that, uh, you know, he'll be a much more effective player the way that he likes to play the game. You know, for what it's worth, I've always respected Jimmy's play on the court and his effort and, you know, his doggedness, if that's the right word. I mean, he'll he'll want to guard the toughest guard, you know, person to guard on the other team. He's fearless going to the basket. If, if Jimmy Butler's not shooting minimum eight free throws a game and likely 10, 12, or even more, then you know his game is starting to fall off because that's when he's at his best. I mean, you'll see games where Jimmy's 13 to 14 from the line. You know, he doesn't have to, you know, score in other ways. He, he can just score at the free throw line. So, yeah, I really do like Jimmy Butler um, a lot. I, I got to take you back in time, though, Tommy, because you said you dangled those two rings that you have right now. A, where do you <laughs> have the same, those? David. You're in the safe right back here. I was just going to, yeah. You, you what, what's the combination back. again? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Wife has the key. <laughs> have you been tempted, like some people are, to put them on eBay to see at least what they're worth? Absolutely not. Okay. I did think of this one, though, David. After winning the first one in 2012 and 2013, I wanted to, I asked, actually asked them, can you put the name James on it? As far as your name is concerned, you have to put your last name on it. Could you put James on it? Then we would have seen what was able to be by. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been more interesting myself. 100%. I could have passed it off as LeBron's, but no, I would never do that. <laughs> yeah, you know, when, when Come on, think about it. Think about it. When we were in the 80s and you're covering teams and sweating your you-know-what's off at Yankee Stadium, Andy, did you really think every once in a while you'd be walking around with a championship ring or two? No, I know no. I never did. I never <laughs> did. So when you they know, handed me the first one, I said, thank you very much. They handed me another one. I said, fine. Three would be great, but two uh, I'll accept. You know, the Bulls won all their six. I mean, I wasn't working for the team. I worked for the team, you know, semi-recent. Well, I worked for the uh, broadcast station that was doing the thing. And, of course, they didn't win anything, so I didn't get anything. But even when the Bulls were winning championships, we were part of the media. All we got were these little replica rings that were probably worth wow. about maybe, maybe 50 cents, if even. Wow. <laughs> so. Well, we had the option here. There were an awful lot of people. I got one as a team employee. 
But uh, a, a lot of the people that work there, sort of in your position, had the opportunity to buy the real ring. Okay. If you wanted to fork up 3500 bucks. No. Nope. Didn't think so. You were not getting the same one LeBron, Wade, and Bosch were getting. You were getting the one that was not, I wouldn't say a 50 cent type replica. It's, I, I think they called it plan A, plan B, and plan C. You were getting plan, like your class ring. Let's put it that way. Right. That's the way it would end up as opposed to the 18 million diamonds the uh, players and coaches got. Hey, so, so Tommy, let me ask you, because my greatest thrill was to cover Michael Jordan, up close, personal, all that kind of good stuff and be part of those championship years. What was it like for you to be part of just great basketball when, when you know, and it wasn't just the two championship years. I think you were there more than, you know, was it three years with LeBron or four years? Well, I was there all four. All it's four. funny, Dave. They, they hired me right beforehand. And I don't mean that season. The year before, I was here 2009-10. So I got the opportunity to watch them uh, get eliminated in the first round by the Celtics, who that year went to the finals to play Los Angeles and Kobe. Uh, the next year, nobody in their wildest dreams ever thought LeBron James was going to end up coming here. And to watch him on an every-night basis back then, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with his game right now, but you think about him at that age, along with Dwayne Wade still being in his prime and Chris Bosh, and some of the other players that people forget, the Shane Battiers, the Mike Millers that did so much for those teams over the years. Every single night it was, uh, you know, almost like being with the Beatles, I guess. I mean, we're too young for the Beatles per se, but that's the type of feel you had every single night. There were some dramatic games. There were some amazing moments. And I would have to say the greatest event in my sports career history, being a longtime New York Giant fan, was covering the Giants and Patriots the year the Patriots had the undefeated season going into that game. And having, of all people, Don Shula sitting next to me the whole time explaining what play was going to come up next. And then when Brady got sacked on the first play of, uh, I guess it was their final drive, I got the fingernails of Don Shula, which are still on my arm someplace, <laughs> dug into the arm before they had to whisk him off to give the uh, Vince Lombardi trophy to the Giants. So uh, that, that is, uh, is the number one throw. But the number, number two was easily 2013. Ray Allen, game six. You figure it's over, and that would have been a major disappointment, not just for the fact of winning the one title, but the first year, all the hype that they got, 2010-11, they lose in the finals. You're going to lose in the finals for a second time in three years. Who knows where you would have gone after that. Allen hits the shot. That doesn't end the game. you got to go to overtime. you got to come back two days later and win in game number seven. And then the following year, when you hear LeBron time after time saying, you know what, I would have stuck around if they won three straight titles, then you wonder how long this thing could have gone. Yeah, it was an amazing event. One of the greatest ones I've ever gone through. I only hope Shula bought you a steak at one of his places after he dug into your skin with his fingernails. <laughs> no, unfortunately, what I said to him, I said, can you get more portions on the steak? Because unfortunately, you guys have these like tiny filet mignon things for what you charge. He says, I'll talk to my sons about it. <laughs> uh, hey, guys, take a, take, a, take a breath here for a second. Let me just have a word from our sponsor real quickly. And, of course, our sponsor is DraftKings. And the moment we've been waiting for since September is finally here. In honor of the big game, DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 56, is giving new customers 56 to 1 odds on either team. Bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in New York, meaning you can bet from almost a third of the country. If Sportsbook, uh, Sportsbook isn't in your state yet, play DraftKings Daily Fantasy Football Contest for Super Bowl 56. New customers get a free shot at a $1 million top prize 
with their first deposit. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN and get 56 to 1 odds on either team. Bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. That's promo code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 56. You must be a minimum age and location requirements, and they vary by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for full list of requirements and state-specific responsible gaming resources. Void where prohibited. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Tennessee, call or text the Tennessee red line. That's 1-800-889-9789. In Connecticut, the number is 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat. And finally, in New York, the number is 8778 H-O-P-E-N-Y, or just text text H-O-P-E-N-Y to 467-369. Again, DraftKings Sportsbook is our sponsor. Uh, pick it up, uh, Andy, with your next question for Tommy. Now, I want to ask you about Bam. And, you know, the season got interrupted a lot. I still think there's a lot more to his game. Do you see him potentially being a guy that could be a number one guy? Offensively? No, just as a number one guy on a title contending team. I know it's a reach to bid, but, you know, I kind of feel if he ever expands his offensive game, you know, he could be a major talent. Maybe I'm okay, off. First, I will tell you this. He is the best, nicest kid on the team. There's no question in anybody's mind. He will do anything for anybody. And you wish him the best for all the money that he, he gets. Uh, I will say this. Defensively, he, he I think he's already there, Andy, to be honest with you. Offensively, don't ever ask him the question about his offense and his outside shot. He doesn't want to hear anything about that. He works as hard as anybody out there. That's not taking anything away from Butler or any of the other players who, who do work hard. But I think he tries to get the most out of what he's able to do. And I, I just think the outside shot, some guys have it. Some guys never get it. I, I think with Bam, I'm not saying that he won't ever get a real good outside shot. But I, I just get the feeling that his game is what it is now. It continues to improve. His ball handling is great. Uh, his rebounding is, is solid. He gets 10 per game. There's so many things he does well, even without having the outside shot. I, I just don't see him in this offense needing to have that. And that's why I, I think he's far from a finished product, only in his fifth year in the league. Can he be a number one scorer type player on the team? I find that hard to believe. I think he's a fantastic player. I think he's one of the best in Heat history when it's all said and done. But I don't see him being that type of player, at least yet, until he shows me something else. Hey, Tommy, let me expand you outside Miami just for a second around the league. And, and Andy and I always have this conversation, MVPs, Rookie of the Years, all that kind of good stuff. And obviously he's got jaded reasons for some of these. Um, but the, MVP, <laughs> the MVP, I mean, Jokic, again, is in contention, obviously, but I don't think they're going to, the voters will give it to him two years in a row. That's just my opinion. I think Embiid right now is the leader in the clubhouse, so to speak. And John Morant is, is closing in fast. Do, do you agree or what? disagree? That's a good one as far as Moran is concerned. The way that team has played over the course of time. It's funny, when they came here, David, they uh, did not have him in the lineup, but he made one of the greatest plays of all time. He's sitting in street clothes, and somebody threw the ball over, and he caught it off the bench, and in one hand, flipped it, hook shot into the basket from the corner, from the baseline, by his own bench. That kid is so phenomenal, what I see in the highlights day after day. But I still go with you there. After watching him beat in the last game that he played against Miami, when the Heat had a double-digit lead in the third quarter, and he had seven points at the half, it was like the Iceman. Okay, now I'm going to turn it on. I'm going to start scoring. That's exactly what he did. He finished with his usual 33 points and the 11 rebounds and the block shots. 
I, I just think he's a phenomenal talent. And getting back to what Andy talked about, I would love to see Bam expand his game to be that type of player. I just don't see him being that type of player. Just a rung below. But you're right. I don't see Jokic being there the way after watching what I've seen, even though he's a, a phenomenal talent as well. I like Embiid right now. And I, I hadn't thought of Morant before, but I think he's he's right up there as well. So we're talking awards. Is, is Tyler Hero sort of locked it up already as far as sixth man? Do you see a competitor so. out there? I think so. I, you know, I, I don't follow every single team's sixth man, and I'm not comparing him to anybody who's made an all-star team like a Kevin McHale or even a Dan Marley who played, you know, a similar type of player, you know, was able to provide offense, play a little bit of defense. I think Hero's come a long way, though, this year. And I think, again, like I said before with Struess, he's the type of player I like by what he brings off the bench. More often than not, Hero's in the game at the end anyway. And we noticed something the other night. He still has deficiencies defensively in that triple overtime game against Toronto. Nick Nurse did a great job of saying, let's get him on Hero, trying to set up mismatches all the time. Like you were asking about Bam and what he could do for his offensive game. I think Hero, to become that type of complete player all around, Still has to pick up some things defensively, but you're right. I don't see anybody else out there that's a sixth man type of player. As much as he still wants to start, even though he won't tell you that publicly, I, I think he's done such an outstanding job as, as a reserve in his three years in the league, and he keeps better and better in his game, and I think he'll be a sixth man for an awful long period of time and keep doing what he's doing for this club. I like Hero, and I think early on he was maybe even the preseason pick to be sixth man, but I'm going to tell you, I'm going to go with right now – and again, there's still 40% of the season to go. Kevin Love is one of the main reasons where yeah. Cleveland is in the position they are. And he has acclimated and accepted his role in Cleveland. And so, and I know, again, I sometimes when you're even betting on stuff like this, as I told Andy, you're not betting so much on the player. You're betting on the voters who vote for the player. And I just mm -hmm. know a lot of these guys, and I think Kevin Love, because he's accepted his role, and he's good with the media, too. That never hurts. I think right now he's your leader for sixth man. You know, you have a good point, because the two games we've played against Cleveland, and they've annihilated Miami in both games. The first time, there was no Jimmy, no Bam. The second time, Jimmy's back in the lineup, but you still didn't have Bam. And I'm not saying that would be the difference in the game, but Love lit up the heat both times in both of those games. I would think that... I watch Hero much more on an every-night basis, still thinking he is the sixth man. I think Love, if I thought about it in the beginning of the year and I tried to figure who is the best sixth man and it wasn't Hero, maybe I'd pick Love, but I would have thought it was nostalgic by based on what he's done. I was like, gee, that's nice. He's having that year like a pinch hitter late in the season and doing that type of thing because he can't play 35 minutes anymore. But he's proven that he's been able to accept the role the way that that team's played all year. And don't ask me about Cleveland. I can't figure out sometimes why certain teams have it over other teams. That hype really bothers Miami. So getting them in a first-round playoff series, if it came to a 3-6 or a 4-5 with Cleveland, I don't think the Heat won any part of that team. But I still like Hero. I really do, based on what I've seen on a regular basis. You know, you brought up Cleveland, my favorite young team. I've been watching them since early in the season. Yeah, that between Allen and Mobley, it's impossible well, to get into the paint. I wanted to get your impressions of Mobley because I've tweeted out a number of times, future MVP. Fabulous. When he played against us here, 16 and 13, he played exceptionally well. Again, no Bam at a bio in the lineup. I'm looking forward to the one more time they play up in Cleveland because you'll get an idea of hopefully you'll see Bam against Mobley. See this. But Bam's not only got Mobley, he's got other problems, which is why it gets back to if you pick up another guy who can play the four or five, if you have to play that team, you're going up against Mobley. You're also going up against those other big monsters that they have, Markinen, Allen, 
love, as David mentioned. There's just so much talent that has really bothered Miami. I I'd find it very difficult, but I agree with you. At the moment, I don't know if I'd say most valuable player. I haven't seen enough of him, to be honest with you, but I do think rookie of the year. There's a lot of other players that are starting to move up that ladder, like you saw Edwards do last year after a slow start. There could be other people sneaking in there, but I still think Mobley's got big enough lead from earlier in the year that he's going to stay there. 100% yeah. agreement on that. Yeah, his ability to defend one through five and defend well, on the perimeter is incredible. Yeah, we'd love him here, but we're not allowed to tamper. <laughs> Um, as you mentioned right at the top, uh, Tommy, it is so bunched at the top of the Eastern Conference, not even at the top all the way through. But as we speak right now, we're recording this on Wednesday night. The Chicago Bulls lead the conference by a game, although by you know the weekend they could be in fifth place, like you said. But what are your impressions of, of watch? What are your impressions of the Bulls from what you've seen from the outside? Now the David, the unfortunate thing with them is the Heat gave them their lunch both times that I've been able to see them in both of those games. You're right. And in the other games that I, I, I do like the combination. DeRozan surprised me how well he's played consistently. I'm not taking anything away from him as a player, but that he fit in with Chicago with Levine and Vucevic playing the way that he does. I, I think that's a formidable group to deal with. It's those other players off the bench. Do you have the ability with the four or five guys coming in off the bench? Like, like Miami's been able to show this year. Now, whether that happens in the playoffs – I don't know, but if Chicago gets, let's say, somebody else at the deadline that could fill that other spot in there or give them what Hero might give Miami coming off the bench, then I say to you, okay, fine. But I still love the way Billy Donovan's treated this club and how they've played over the course of time. I'm not saying that they're overrated or anything like that or they're playing above their heads. I think they're a really good team and they're going to be a tough deal to deal with in the first round of the playoffs. I hate to say I want to get them because I really don't want to go down that route. But Toronto's played Miami tough. Uh, Cleveland's played Miami tough. I, I'm not saying that the, the Chicago, but somehow it's strange how Chicago and Milwaukee have not played Miami as well as those other teams have. But you're right. Chicago's really played nice this year. Yeah, and you know what, Tommy? It, 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 once you get to the postseason, you know this as well as anybody. It's all about matchups. And, mm -hmm. you know, against certain teams, the Bulls will continue doing what they've done in the regular season. However, against certain teams, and we're going to find out on Sunday because that's when Philadelphia's here. They don't match up against Embiid. They never have. He's 9-0 when he plays against the Chicago Bulls. And Vucevic, I mean, he may be an offensive uh, force on one end, sort of. But on the other end, he's a liability. So if Philadelphia goes against the Bulls in the first round, that could be a quick exit. I give the Bulls and, and Billy Donovan especially a lot of credit. I don't think they're going to be able to add anything at the deadline, Tommy. They just don't have any draft capital. They have a lot of injuries right now. Uh, right now they're hurting defensively because their two best defensive players are out for six to eight weeks in Lonzo Ball and, and Alex Caruso, who I'm falling in love with oh. every time I watch him. So, yeah, I mean, the Bulls are a good story, but for all my fellow Chicagoans, I don't think they're winning anything this year. Maybe not, but I still like what uh, the situation looks like for the future. And maybe Vucevic is not the greatest defensive player, but he always seemed to play like Wilt Chamberlain against the Heat, even when those – Orlando teams that you were talking about earlier, they were so bad back in 2012-13. It always was a game because of him. So he plays enough defense back then. I think age and a lot of other things and mileage are kind of getting to him. But you're right. Embiid is just such a force, and that's going to be a very tough matchup for them on Sunday. David, I can't believe Tommy mentioned the GOAT. Wilt? Uh, unbelievable. Anyway. <laughs> but Andy, we don't say that down here. 
Andy, he put Vucevic in the same thing as Wilt. I mean, come on. I thought you jumped right. over for that one. That's right. By the way, do you think Miami will look to make a significant move at the trade deadline? No, I think their significant moves are still sitting on the injured list. And Mark Harris coming back and Victor Oladipo. The way they keep uh, working out before games, nobody has a timetable on either one. But it's like picking up a buyout player like teams – often do that's what i kind of figured chicago might try as well but i i get the feeling that's going to be their move i, I don't I really don't see them thinking that they, they have to make that type of move they're right around the cap they don't want to really add on any salary that's for sure so you look at what they have i you know you can't underestimate pat riley a couple of years ago he said well we're going to stay pat and the next thing you know he picked up jay crowder and they end up in the finals so anything's possible you don't put anything around over mr riley but uh I still think they like the nucleus they have right now. Yeah, it's ironic you mentioned Victor because before we came on, I saw some video of him working out with Haslam. I mean, he actually was moving pretty well. It was a short video. Any whispers on how he looks? Because, you know, athletically, he wasn't there, before, you know, after all the injuries. doesn't have to be any whispers. You can shout it from the mountaintops. TV puts it out every single game, what he does as far as his workout is concerned. And at practice one day, he spent most of the time not on the court, talking to the assistants, then getting back out on the court, knowing exactly where he had to be in certain spots of the offense where they want him defensively. Not saying it's going to happen this week, not saying it's going to happen this month, but I get a feeling somewhere down the line you're going to see Victor Oladipo there. And you tell me, Andy, where would you like to put him as far as in the lineup if he comes back anywhere close to the type of player he was? I put him in the starting lineup and Duncan Robinson goes to the bench. Yeah, that is your point. Yeah, here's another thing. <laughs> I still think Duncan Robinson is better as a starter. I think you – don't be surprised – if Oladipo comes off the bench with a titanic group with Hero. You know, the NBA is so crazy this season, and I'm already looking at just the two finals that are in. Again, we're recording this on Wednesday night. Philadelphia loses at home to Washington, and the Philadelphia played with Embiid tonight. So, you know, the, the, whole, the whole thing is upside down, especially in the East. And Orlando, and we were talking about them beforehand, they won on the road tonight after a back-to-back -back situation at Indiana. So, I mean, again – it's the beauty of the NBA, Tommy, as, as you well know. I love covering pro basketball because these are the best of the best, and, and uh, obviously Andy knows that as well. And and I'm hoping that you're sitting courtside, you know, at least for the home games, because there's nothing better than being courtside for an NBA basketball game. I have not sat courtside since I think the mid-'80s, to be honest with oh, you. Wow. We, okay. sit, we sit up in the, uh, I would say, the mezzanine section. I, I don't think radio, even on the road, it's uh, like, like the play-by-play -play crew. Yeah, they do. Go, they they do, do in Chicago, really. Yeah, I, think, well, I, think it's, I think it's the last bastion, if I'm not mistaken. Because last night in Toronto, they actually were up in the boondocks, and there were only 30 people in the building. I, I couldn't figure, who are you selling the Drake seats to besides Drake? <laughs> there's, no, there's nobody there, but they were up in the boondocks by themselves. So that, that seems to be the way that it is all over the place. I have not. No, it's been a long time. Except for a preseason game, maybe one or two, and but uh, regular season or playoffs, not even close. But it, it's still a decent seat, and, and like you said, it's NBA basketball. How tough is it to do that? Right, that's true. Tommy, as well as you know NBA players, I wanted to get your take on the Brooklyn situation. How do you really think this Kyrie situation could possibly be sitting in the locker room? That's a real good question because I've asked about uh, that with certain people I've talked to. And I, I do think it's the best part-time job in America, what he's able yeah. to do, where he's able to go to different places and see the world, but then he plays basketball and, and then he gets his time off when he's at home. 
I don't think it's sitting that well, to be honest with you. I would think that the lure of getting back on the court might have said, okay, guys, now that he's in the locker room with them all the time and practicing with them in certain spots, just go get the shot. You know, it's not really that difficult. I get it. You know, people think of it in a certain way, but to get himself out on the court, it can't be that difficult if he wants to compete at the highest level. But, hey, I'm not going to say he's selfish. You know, he's got his reasons why he doesn't want to do it. You can't judge any person based on that. But it's kind of hard. It's good. When it gets down to the playoffs, think about it, Andy. You're going to game number two at such and such a place, and your point guard's not there. Or game number three, if you have to, like, get on a plane and go to wherever that situation is, three and four, and he's not there, even though you do have Durant and Harden, I, I still think that's the difference between them going where they're going to go. Yeah, here's the strange thing that people haven't thought about. If they have home court advantage, it's a disadvantage. They'll play the yeah. first two games of the series without him and a potential game seven without him. So if you're Miami, <laughs> you're, you're hoping Brooklyn has home court advantage when you play them. In a certain way. So I'll tell them to do that when they play next Saturday so they can lose the game and have Brooklyn go ahead of them. Is that what you're asking? Well, no, but, but my point is the Nets have a much better chance of winning a game seven on the road with him than a game seven at home without him. That's my belief. Well, of course, of course they do. There's no yeah. question about it. Yeah. I, I, I just, I can't understand what the whole thing's about, to be honest with you. Hey, I, I heard there's a coach in Miami who, who supposedly said he was offered $100,000 to lose games. So <laughs> I don't know anything about that. Don't know anything about that. You're taking the fifth? Anyway, for, I'm just joking around here a little bit. I got to ask you one last question from me, Tommy. Appreciate you joining us tonight. How visible is Pat Riley? I mean, obviously, he's the brains behind everything. But how visible is he? And what's it like for you to be around royalty? Because he is basketball royalty. Well, he's intimidating. Even uh, it, when you try to get to know him, you really can't get to know him. He won't let you that close. Mm. But I will tell you this. It, it's amazing how he runs the place. And he's at every game. He sits in certain spots, different spots all the time, but close by so you know that he's there. And he's at every single home practice, every shoot around. So it's not like he's just sitting on the yacht and you know think, thinking up what else I could do and maybe come into tonight's game. Nope. He is extremely involved in what this team does. And if you go and look in his office, he's got every single player, player in the entire league. Whether it's a two-way guy, he's got a G League board. It's not like somebody else put it there. He will move it from time to time when the transaction's there. So uh, he's in his mid-70s, going up closer to 80. You know what? He's still sharp as a tack. As long as he enjoys doing it, why would you ever move him out of the position he's in? There's nobody better. That's impressive. My final question on a scale of one to 10, how confident are you that the Heat get through the East and to the finals? 10. Okay. You're semi-confident then. Ring three. I need ring three. Okay. <laughs> is that by the wife's order or your order? No, this is by the wife's order. <laughs> the other one right. going to save. Great stuff, Tommy. Tommy, thank you guys. Greatly appreciate you joining us. Hang on one second here as we end this broadcast. We thank everybody for listening.